1: Hey there, welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. Welcome to episode 278, where I'm going to be chatting with Yeli Cruz. Yeli is a production assistant for the Find Your Food Voice podcast. And she's been working with me for about six or seven months now. And she is someone that is a bibliophile. She is super into books and um, suggested that we start to include book reviews as a part of the show. So the first book we read was um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. I had to think about it for a second. Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which you can see in a previous episode. We'll link it in the show show notes for you here. And this is our second book. And this second book is Belly of the Beast by Deshaun Harrison. This book, as you are going to hear in our conversation, was really influential to Yelly and me for similar reasons, different reasons. Can't wait for you to hear what we have to say about it. If you do read the book and you'll hear, we really want you to read the book, let us know your thoughts. Find us on Instagram at foodvoicerd and let us know your thoughts. But before we get to my conversation with Yelly about Belly of the Beast by Deshaun Harrison, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast is brought to you by PCOS Power. PCOS Power is the new course that I have developed for those of you affected by PCOS and wanting to divorce that dumpster fire that is your PCOS diet. There is another way. If you're listening to this episode, when it's released, you have two more days to join the program before the opportunity to join will end. Um, because it's a new program, I want to make sure that we take care of you along the way. There's, there's like many moving parts. And usually with my course, I have open enrollment whenever, because I just think that's like the best way to do it. And uh, for right now, just to make sure my team and I don't end up being like, having to rush and chaotic and drop things, we've decided to just have an open and close kind of cart situation. So if this is not the right time, just know that we will offer another time soon. We just don't know when yet, but I will make sure that you are kept in the loop. But if you are wanting to join, now is the time until March 10th. So you can go to juliedillonrd.com to get details on PCOS Power. I wanted to share some information from Brooke. Brooke uses pronouns she, her, and Brooke had the chance to take the beta round of PCOS Power, and she gave me some feedback, and she said, What a relief to learn ways to manage PCOS that actually work. Julie is so compassionate when moving through the material and her passion and expertise for helping navigate PCOS as a parent. This program was a game changer for me. I am so glad, Brooke, that this, these were tools that you found helpful. And something that I believe, living with PCOS or just being a person on this planet, is that you are the one who gets to decide which tools work and which ones don't. And so having experience over the last 20 years with people with PCOS, I have gathered a lot of tools and I want to share them with you. And uh, I am so glad, Brooke, that the ones I shared were helpful for you. So again, if you are interested in joining, you have two more days to do that. Go to juliedillonrd.com and you'll get to all the details about PCOS Power.
0: Taking the good with the ups and downs. I wanna see how the world turns round. Home is with you wherever
1: that may be. Hey Yelly, thanks for coming on to discuss Belly of the Beast. Hi Julie, I'm excited. I um <laughs> I was reading through this and as
2: I was reading, I was like, this could literally be like an hour-long episode. There's just so much good stuff in this
1: book. Honestly, I have a feeling it could be something like okay, so this is just me, maybe or maybe someone else can relate to this. But I I need to do some like unpacking, talking, thinking, feeling, and then I need to do that again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And so like it could be something that we can spend the next like year or two on. Absolutely. I have a feeling. I agree. And it's only a hundred and what, 10, 20 pages. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing what's packed in here. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you introduce Belly of the Beast to the listener and we'll get started that way. Yes, I guess. Um, so maybe to give some context
2: to the book, um, I was first introduced to it because I worked on She's All Fat and at She's All Fat, we are obsessed with um, Deshaun and um, they used to write articles um, about the themes in the book. And um, last year they Put all their thoughts together in a book. So I will read kind of the back of it to like lay some groundwork for us. So the blurb on the back is, to live in a body, both fat and black, is to exist at the margins of a society that creates the conditions for anti-fatness and anti-black, as anti-blackness, pardon me, hyper-policed by state and society, passed over for housing and jobs, and derided and misdiagnosed by medical professionals Fat Black people in the United States are subject to socio-politically sanctioned discrimination, abuse, condensation. Did I say that correctly? Condescension. There we go. (laughs) And trauma. (laughs) Deshaun Harrison, a fat Black disabled and non-binary trans writer, offers an incisive, fresh, and precise exploration of anti-fatness as anti-Blackness. Foregrounding the state-sanctioned murders of fat Black men and trans and non-binary masculine people in historical analysis. Policing, disenfranchisement, and invisibilizing of fat Black men and trans and non-binary masculine people are pervasive, insidious ways that anti-fat, anti-Blackness shows up in everyday life. Taking on desirability politics, the limitations of gender, the connection between anti-fatness and carcerality and the incongruity of health and healthiness for the black fat, Harrison viscerally and vividly illustrates the myriad harms of anti-fat, anti-blackness. They offer strategies for dismantling denial, unlearning the cultural programming that tells us fat is bad, and destroying the world as we know it, so the black fat can inhabit a place not built
1: on their subjugation. Even just there, there's so much. (laughs) So much, so much, and there's like a hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there and uh, I'll, there's a there's like even the words on here. I had to look up some words as I was reading. Yeah. Um, you have a much better vocabulary than I do, Yelly. But like for me, I had to look up many words. Just to be like, oh, okay, now I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like
2: I don't know about you, but there's so much underlined in my book, like so many notes and uh-huh. just little
1: thoughts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and as we were deciding to have this as a book discussion on the show, um, I had already read through it once, but it was really just like reading through it without thinking about ever like actually verbalizing anything. Mm-hmm. So I read through it again and I'm glad I did because I got more out of it the second time. And I have a feeling there's just a bazillion things I did not even begin to unpack pack and understand. Like, it's going to be something that, like I said, I'm like, there's going to be a lot of processing that I need to experience to actually fully kind of take in. So where should we start? I mean, this is a big, big, big one.
2: (laughs) Do you have any, like, general impressions about the book as you were reading it the second time? You already kind of mentioned it, but was there Mm -hmm. anything that stood out to you maybe that didn't stand out to you the first time?
1: Yes, and I will preface this with i before I even read it, period, I had heard uh, Deshaun Harrison's interview, like I believe there was two interviews on Shes off Fat mm-hmm. and then read some of their work before and followed them on Instagram. And so I was already aware of a little bit of kind of the the message or I was already kind of connecting with some of the message. so when I started reading it especially cuz the first time I think I just read it so fast just to read it to read it and then when I read it the second time I was like I'm really going to like let it come in and the first impression I had was that th- it was just jumping right in like there was no sugar coating there was no I'm going to ease into this it's like I'm going to give it to you like straight from the hip here and I felt challenged and I also, I don't know if this will make sense, and hopefully it will by the end of this conversation, but, like, I also felt, like, softened hmm. um, in some points, which I, I'm i guessing that feeling has to do with, like, moving away from, like, as a white person, from dehumanizing, hopefully, to more, like, appreciating a person as a human. Um, And I, but I don't know. Like, that's what I'm guessing that is. But there was definitely tears the second time that I read this, and... Uh, I mean, it's kind of classic white lady tears, I think, but I also think some of it was like some of that kind of softness that I was connecting to, um, which again, I think it was like basic humanity, you know, and in a way it feels like icky to even admit that. But like, as a white person, I know that there's like so much racism built into my like DNA that like, why the hell am I going to like deny it? (laughs) Like, (laughs) that seems really silly and like a big lie. Um, and when i when i think about too like whenever i have like connected to my own racism the thing that when i when i can like picture back in those moments in time there's always been like an emotional kind of like uh, i don't know if, if triggering is the right word probably not but just like some kind of like jolt or movement and, um, the first time was when I was five years old and, um, I said a word that I heard someone else say and didn't even know what the word wo- yeah. meant, but I was saying it cause I thought it was cool. And my mom let me know that that word, what it meant and like how I was never to say it again. And I haven't, yeah. you know, and, uh, but I remember like crying and crying and crying. And, uh, so as I was crying, I was like, is this like, what is this? And I'm like, I wonder if it's making that movement again, um, which I mean, I'm really grateful that anyone can give me that in a book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that that's my first like general impression, like overview experience. I'm so curious what what you think or what your experience was too. Yes, I think that, um
2: a lot of it is for me, reading it was putting words to like observations and thoughts and feelings that obviously, like I, Um, already had through like working on She's All Fat and like just Mm -hmm. the general like spaces that I inhabit in the world. Um, I think that what really stood out to me the first and the second time about reading this is just like Deshaun talks about this um, like concept of the beyond which is like a place he says, or they say, a place in which we live without qualifiers, conditions, or labels meant to harm our being. And I feel like that is just such a, um, it's like such a radical thought and a thought that um, like a lot of people don't, we talk about dismantling systems, right? And like dismantling the systems that are in our world, Um But something that Deshaun talks about a lot in their book is the fact that dismantling the systems aren't enough or it isn't enough if like the thoughts and the feelings are still around. So, for example, like the example that Deshaun gives is like abolition, prison abolition and uh, police abolition isn't enough if white supremacy is still around because what's to say that it won't just be recreated as another system and like that is something that I think I had never heard somebody just put into words that plainly and that outspokenly and that I think uh that and like the idea of this beyond of a place like truly just without any of the labels and the systems and that harm That uh, really moved me the first time that I read it and the second time as well. Um, And just like this book amps me up every time I read it Mm because I'm like, yeah, like, let's do it. Let's obviously, you know, who knows what we need to do to get to that place. But like, uh, even though it's a very heavy book and talks about a lot of heavy things, um, that note in it is very uh, hopeful and like motivational or like, for me, just
1: in terms of, like, motivating me to act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beyond. Mm-hmm. the The beyond um, is really significant to even have a name for it for me. Um, and, you know, part of how this book has influenced how I am, like, just living my life, but also in the many different parts. Like one of them is like this on this podcast and as a dietitian and someone that's helping people to like move away from diet culture. Um, There's many like tools, like intuitive eating, health at every size, things like that, that we all have used and relied on. And there's been talk in uh, my field about like how there are things that are broken with these tools and it's so hard to conceptualize my work without those tools. Mm-hmm. And something that um I just I I'm trying to be okay with, and I just have to be, is that like there's not going to be like this like script to follow solution alternative because of everything you just said, um, and it's not going to be built by me. I'll support who's ever gonna be building you know building it I guess what I'm saying is like people who are in the most of the uh most oppressed by these systems uh like I whatever is this beyond needs to be um and I'm maybe I'm even taking it too much into like the the sameness, but like um I don't think um die culture was was built by white people, so like I don't think whatever the alternative or whatever the beyond is can't be built by the same people, you know, sure yeah so yeah totally yeah.
2: that's um a good segue into um a question that I don't necessarily have an answer for or like a clear answer for, but you might because you're you've been doing this for a long time of like what does what does this book add to the Hayes intuitive eating conversation or like what
1: mm-hmm. yeah I don't know like
2: uh I don't know
1: that's my question <laughs> Do you know what yeah, your yeah. So, honestly, when I was first going through the table of contents, um, you know, there's it's very it's it's pretty obvious what each chapter is about based on the name of the table of contents. And there's one that talks about um, health. Well, what's referenced is the O word epidemic, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to jump right to that one. Like I remember thinking, like, oh, let me just read that one first, and because it feels really familiar and cozy. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Harrison has provided us this map and I'm going to follow their map. <laughs> like I'm going to do it the way that they intended it to be read. And I'm so glad I did because really getting to a place of um, appreciating the harm of current like healthcare systems, I had to really get to... Some bigger things like the chapter on desire, um, on um even with the concept of the beast, like that, um, how whiteness has like developed that as a way to dehumanize um, as Deshaun Harrison says, fat black um people. And so Um, If I didn't really read through those things, then I don't think I could really appreciate the discussions when it comes to healthcare. And um, it really connected the dots on how like the healthcare system is just another like policing Mm -hmm. um, system and like connecting all the dots to like colonization and slavery, policing, and Karen's asking for the manager, like how they're all interwoven and how like me as a dietitian trained to put a person on a diet, um, how that all is um, expertly designed to keep someone in their place or to try to like keep someone in their place. And um, it just really helped paint a picture. I know it it helped you feel hopeful, but I think for me, I I need to not feel hopeful. Like, I need to feel like, oh my gosh, this is bad. This is really bad. And that's what I remember connecting a lot with. I think that was some of the 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 tears was and the softness of like, oh my gosh, like all of this like skeleton that we've been like relying on, it's not gonna do it. It's just gonna keep making it fucked up. And um, there's... Yeah, I'm gonna pause there because I, I wanna dive into another part, but I want to hear what you what you think about that or like I don't know, like if what you thought about the healthcare mm-hmm. discussion in
2: the book. Yes. I thought that um it's I liked how you said that you were following the map that Deshaun <laughs> laid down because that's so true that uh the I think that the book would feel very different if chapters were in other orders. Um So yeah, I'm just kind of still thinking about that. But um, I think that something that really stood out to me that they um, wrote is that people are like taught that the way they feel about their bodies is their own moral failing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that um, we, in our journey from you know, like being entrenched in diet culture to like body positivity, body liberation, all of these uh, kind of stepping stones in whatever journey you're on. I feel like that is something that almost everybody I know that I've spoken to has to reckon with. Um, Or even like you said about the fact that you're in, you're sitting in this place where you just kind of like have to feel angry and have to feel bad about the fact that all of these Mm -hmm. things are working together. Like, and you've talked about it, about it before on the podcast as well as that, like, it's just such a uh, crucial step to me to, like, knowing that these things are there and feeling your feelings and feeling angry and sad and uh, unlearning that, um, that moral failing aspect of it. Because I feel like that is such a strong pillar in, in diet culture and the healthcare system and all of these systems is that, um, like if you can't function in them, it's your own
1: moral wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the way that it keeps change from happening to help people be safe is like splitting us all apart into these individuals, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, really distracting us from really the big issue, you know, and, um, yeah, it's it doesn't feel good to feel like this sucks and like there's this isn't working and I'm a part of that. Like that, yeah. Um, I just name that like that doesn't feel good. And there's a lot of like um training into um body positivity that I think has led us to believe that we're gonna feel good. And that's the one of the biggest lies is that it's not gonna be feeling good. It's it's really being aware of our feelings and finding a way to sit with them and tolerate them as much as we can. So then we can focus on really what is happening and like staying in reality as much as possible. Um, but it's a really, it really is uncomfortable. And I can appreciate, you know, people who are not willing to let go or not willing to see things differently, why? Um, Because that feels really—it just feels like a lot. But it's also like those who experience more privilege. I think that's like what you need to do. It's like our duty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Like it's time to—if you're really wanting to do this work, let's let's do this. Let's contribute in the way that we need to. And you know, I've been against dieting for a long time. Like it's been over twenty years now. But I really appreciate how this book was able to help me appreciate how the push to lose weight is just another way to police and control a human being mm-hmm. um, especially a fat black human being yes. um And you know the, the this book that part of also why it's so important is because of how it actually is talking specifically fat, black, masculine, um, uh, like those are, those are identities that are so neglected in the conversation when it comes to like food, eating disorders, uh, any of those things. It's just, that's just not something that really we, um, tend to, to focus on. So, so yeah. Totally. Well then, uh,
2: also jumping off of that, I think that it's important to note as well that in the book there's, uh, Deshaun talks about like the direct connection between, anti-fatness and how that interacts with policing and specifically police brutality. Um, and there's a chapter where they really break down um, the the narratives around these uh, like large Black men that have been murdered by police and the fact that them being large and being portrayed as people or like i guess not even people they're like dehumanized in mm-hmm. many ways and a lot of the ways that they're dehumanized is through being portrayed as large and fat and uh and also the connection between that image and then people believing that uh black men can take on more pain than they should have to and that they are actually able to and just all of those Um, Deshawn says it a lot more eloquently than I do, but, um, a lot of those threads are things that I hadn't really woven together until I read the book. And I think just such a, um,
1: one of the biggest things that I took away from it. That was the most important chapter for me. Mm -hmm. Like if I had to pick one, um, that's when that kind of like softness, like that part of me, like revealed itself of like where I could feel a shift happening and that's why i feel like i think it was the most important one this go around <laughs> um because it really again the, the name is belly of the beast i mean it really helped me to appreciate how that description of like an animal or a beast how that was so intentional to help dehumanize and so then de- um centuries later um People who are killing black men um, and or and fat black men can get away with it, or it not even being known um, because of how this has been so expertly crafted mm-hmm. um, over centuries. And um, I didn't connect fatness with the pl- police brutality, except for Eric Garner. That that was the only one that I had really connected with that, and. Um, So I feel really grateful that all of the narratives were spelled out, um, not all of them, but for many of the um, murders uh, spelled out. So then um, I could better see all of that. You know, I needed, I think, someone to actually, like, go through that, like, okay, this one and this one and this one. And then also adding um, two two murders were people who were younger, 18 and 12, and how— the fatness and blackness there's an assumption of being older um and so um yeah again i think that was like the most important and um m- like chapter that moved me um which i'm incredibly grateful for and um something that i think maybe this will be a good like way to kind of close this is like this this book has a lot Of importance in the health at every size community, the intuitive eating kind of community, anti-diet community. I know we've talked a little bit about it, but you know, something that I, I, people have talked a lot about is um, the need to like totally get rid of a health at every size. Uh, Have you heard like whisperings of that? Mm -hmm. Maybe not even whisperings, but just yellings. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's something that um, in conversations, a lot of people are talking about and many people are opinionated about it. And um, over the last couple years, you know, um, as I've talked to other people who have not felt seen, heard, or who have been harmed by Health at Every Size, kind of like, not necessarily like the movement, but maybe it is, but like just never really felt at home there As I've listened to more of that, I can appreciate why, like, yeah, I think we just need to start over. And and then I say we, and that I would be like, I want to support whatever is built, but I don't think white hands need to be building it, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, because that's where we fucked up. So I don't know if you have any reaction on that, but that was another part of this book that I could, it was like funneling into that area for me. Um, I don't know if it did for you. Yes. I think that... um
2: I just have, I have so many thoughts. I think that um, (laughs) something to kind of ground it, to bring it back to health at every size, I think that's something that um, I still see missing in a lot of conversations about intuitive eating and health at every size. And um, just in that sphere is the fact that health isn't morally good or like being unhealthy is not morally bad if that makes sense. Or like when Mm -hmm. I, when I hear people talking about, oh, like you can be fat and still be healthy. A part of me goes, okay, but like, what if like, you can also just be fat and just be, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're still, we're still uh, portraying this narrative that it's okay to be fat as long as you're striving for health, as opposed Mm -hmm. to you are just allowed to be fat because you're a human being. And mm-hmm. as a human being, you inherently, you know, deserve respect. And, uh, and yeah, I think that, um, I think that that, as somebody who is kind of on the outside of the health at every size community, um, I think that that is my biggest bone to pick with it as well is that I think that, uh, in the same sense that like body positivity is, uh, kind of a step removed from body liberation in terms of, like, the, uh, like, body liberation is a lot more radical. I think that uh, health at every size is a good stepping stone on the way to another plane um, where we should be, which I also agree that uh, white hands and, you know, like, straight-sized hands and, like, just the hands that have been building all of these uh, systems don't necessarily need to be building the next place that we end
1: up in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I really feel the call to like stay out of the way, you know, and uh, something that um, I know I have voiced before and colleagues and other people doing this work is like, wow, like Health at Every Size was something that rescued uh, me and um, other people who could relate to that, like rescued me from diet culture. And it, it was a way, it's been a way for a lot of people to heal and reject eye culture and unite. Um, but what, you know, people have like shared with me and then also reading in Desha- Deshaun Harrison's book was like, but it hasn't been like that for Black folks. And the, even the the discussion in this book about health, how health was designed mm. to make it unattainable for fat and black people. Like it just wasn't, it's not, it's not something that can happen because it was built to keep a person out, yes. you know? And so it's like, it's not even possible. So like, why are we even like valuing that? And so, yeah, like it needs, we need to start over. And for a while I was like, okay, well then what, what do I rely on? And I know I was kind of thinking or discussing this earlier too, but that was really stressful for um some time of like okay, so then if I don't rely on health at every size, like, what is it? And that's the part where I, like, there's just going to be flailing for a while, like, as something else is able to come, which there may not be a foundation like I'm imagining, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I think that's just where um, I need to be okay. And that's part of why, like, this show has shifted to be so much less about, like, an individual and more about, like, Let's look outside of ourselves because, like, I just don't think that, like, a person can recover from diet culture just by, like, their mindset. Like, it just seems so, like, funny to me. I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, So um, do you have any final thoughts um, before we kind of
2: Um, tidy, like,
1: move on to conclude? I guess my
2: only final thought is that – I just think that everybody should buy and read the book because there just really is absolutely no doing it justice in any, like, like I cannot do it justice in my own words, just from talking about it, um, for any length of time. So, uh, Mm -hmm. definitely buy the book and read it. And there's like so much that we didn't even get to touch
1: on. Um, so much, so much in the hundred pages. I I agree. And it's going to be out in, um, Audio format in February. So by the time you're listening to this, there's already a way to get it that way. Um, yes, get this book. And there's been a few books that have been super important for me in understanding like my own like uh, racist kind of um, foundation and my whiteness. And this is like on that list now because like, it was, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Underground Railroad by. Colson Whitehead, and then um, Hunger by Roxane Gay. Those were two books that have been really important to me. And now this one as well. So super grateful. And thank you for choosing it for this discussion. I'm like so grateful that I had a chance to discuss this with you. After I finished reading it again, I texted my, I have a a text thread that my friends and I call the Alliance. Mm -hmm. And we are just a group of moms that started to connect during COVID and- Um, It's a very diverse group of people, some people who are going to city council meetings, some people who are teachers and like really hands-on. And this is a topic that needs to be included in that. So I texted them and said, this is on our agenda to read this book. (laughs) So um, I hope um, you read it, listener, and invite discussion in your community as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Yelly. Take care. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Yelly Cruz about the book, Belly of the Beast by Deshaun Harrison. I also hope you connected with like how important this book was to the two of us and consider reading or listening to it yourself. If you do, find us over on Instagram. My Instagram handle is FoodVoiceRD tag us and let us know or send us a message. We are hoping to continue the conversation. Like we said, there's just so much to really sift through and that needs to be tended to um, and sifted through. So we want to continue this conversation and looking forward to hearing what you have to say. If you enjoyed this episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast, well, we are really glad. And if you would, would not mind leaving us a rating, a review, subscribed, or sharing an episode to someone who you think may enjoy it too. Doing any of those things really helps the show grow. It helps more people find us. So thank you so much in advance. This episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast was brought to you by my PCOS Power course that's gonna be coming out March 1st. And if you would like to get on the wait list, grab the PCOS Roadmap if you have not yet. It'll give you the first three steps toward food peace with PCOS. And it's only the first three steps. There are so many more, and I cannot wait to share with you PCOS Power coming out March 1st. All right, like I said, This was a really important conversation and we hope that it just got things started for you if you have not read this book yet, but let us know what your thoughts are, tag us on Instagram and let's keep the conversation going. Bye for now. Take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the food voice pledge? Go to JulieDuffyDillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Bremner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at JulieDuffyDillon.com where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care.